Welcome to this programme. I'm Frida Morrison and this is Scots Radio. In this edition, I'm delighted to welcome you know our favourite folk. Joining us will be renowned chef and food writer Wendy Barry. And Wendy will be guiding us through the mysteries of bread making and telling us more about the recent Scots Real Bread Festival, complete with a Scottish Championship Baker. And we join the folk at that bread gathering at Bowhouse in Fife. And Dave Mitchell has been delving into ancient seeds and come up with some fascinating offshoots. Ah, this and music! Starting with this track for a wonderful new album, Fay Gavin Marwick. The album of six tracks. The EP, the first of four, is based on the All Scottish Quarter Days. Candlemas, Whitson, Lammas and Martinus. This is from Candlemas, and this is the Fair Maids of February and the Jig for Winter. And the Jig for Winter from the first in a series of four EPs, Fay Gavin Marwick, accompanied by Aaron Jones. 
celebrating the All Scottish Quarter Days. Here Murphy this lovely EP later. So let me introduce my companions this episode. In the wheelhouse at the BMB Studio in Edinburgh. Hello, Richard Werner. Come in, Richard. <laughs> How we doing, Fina? How we doing, everybody? <laughs> oh, fine. Fine, fine, fine. Have you had snow this sna- week? We've not had snow. We've had very, very cold starts and then little bursts of very, very warm sunshine, but mostly cold, mostly damp. Very, very damp for the day. Oh, wow. You know? Right, across in the Embra Burbs, where team member Fah possesses the wisdom of the elders, a past curator of the botanics in Embra, new deputy chair of the National Trust for Scotland, come in. Mr. David Mitchell. Good morning, Frida. How are you doing today? Fine, fine, fine. It's a bit warmer. And also in our B&B studio in Edinburgh, Jane and Ritchie as our special guest, renowned chef, food writer and director of the Scottish Food Guide. Welcome, Wendy Barry. Wendy, hello. Good morning, Chill. It's great to be back. Oh, it's fine to hear. Now, before I go any further, there is a rumour that there are samples of bread and cheese in that studio. Bread and cheese brought in by Wendy Barry for Richie. <laughs> Only for that's Richie. Right, right. Not well, a you morsel. You've got to be here to get it. You've got to be in it to Not a morsel. <laughs> Just say that. Thank you for the delivery, Wendy. <laughs> Super. I'll let you describe what, what is down there in a little while so we can celebrate. <laughs> Tennis. And on that bread theme, real bread and baking enthusiasts for our Scotland gathered in the central hall at the splendid Bauhaus near St Monans in Fife for the inaugural Scottish Real Bread Festival. Now, Bauhaus was created by Balkaski Estate for a barn to a thriving marketplace that houses smart producers and market traders. Now, the festival was set up by guest Wendy Barry, along with renowned real bread campaigner Andrew Whitley. And together they set up the Scottish Bread Championship as part of the festival. Wendy, fitter day we had. I joined you and our own 800 enthusiasts in the market hall at Bauhaus. You must have been delighted with the turnout. Oh, it was terrific. Couldn't believe it. By the end of the day, we'd counted almost a thousand folk. And that was from ground zero in January. You know, got the Hogmanay over and then started really heavily promoting it sort of Mm mid-January. So we had a kind of, you know, four to six weeks run up from totally zero. We started the Bread Championship in... um, 2017 and we hosted it at the Highland Show for a few years and by moving it to Bowhouse in February it coincided with Real Bread Week Mm -hmm. but of course we then needed somewhere to hand out the prizes so we had to collaborate and get every volunteer with a pulse to help create a festival so we had somewhere to give out the prizes (laughs) so um, so we had the Scottish Bread Championship with the judging on the Thursday and then the Hooli on the Saturday. Oh, it was it was great. So the bit I loved, apart from tasting a lot of tasty bits of bread, was the story of who the bacon championship was organised. Tell us a bit more about that. Oh, you mean how it all started? I remember you saying it's it's all going on in different parts of Scotland because, of course, you cannot get them to bake their bread and get it into into St. Mary's. That's right. That's right. So we had the same challenge when it was at the Highland Showground. You had to get through all the security and get the loaves in. And it was a busy time of year for bakers in June. Whereas in February, there's not so much on. So that was a good start. But of course, you're also trying to be a bit sustainable. So I I thought we could have a couple of hubs. So we had a hub up at Holbeath that people could come down and drop their breads at, at a friend's car boot. And we had a hub at the Maybury Casino. And I was teased about this because dropping off 
breed in a casino. <laughs> but of course, the casino's not open on a Saturday morning and the car park's empty. And it's quite a kind of old landmark. Everyone knew where it was. And so this guy's standing there with his car boot open for an hour on a Saturday morning. And these bread makers are appearing and dropping off, you know, unmarked cardboard boxes, you know. And they both arrived along at um, Bowhouse with car boot filled chocka with beautiful loaves Um, and all these got decanted to me and I'm coding them with numbers so they're all anonymous by the time the judges see them and nobody else is getting into the building How many many judges did you hit to hit? We had eight Uh, I think we'll need a dozen next year because we had record numbers Uh, I mean I I was sure that we would have good numbers but you can never tell till the day you know Mm -hmm. Um, so we had uh, 138 entries um, from three dozen bakers from from right up uh, your way I think mm-hmm. the furthest north was about Aberdeenshire, I think. I think it might be an Inverness one. And then right down into the borders. And uh, some people buddied up and were coming down for the weekend and stayed in Fife. So it was actually really good for food tourism too. Because mm-hmm. they were in B&Bs in Fife, they decided to bring down their loaves and then stay on and meet friends and make a Saturday of it and travel home on the Sunday. So it was very, very social, as you saw. Mm-hmm. Everybody stayed and had a good chat and a catch-up and it was, there was lots going on. It just took me by surprise how many folk were there and the enthusiasm. You could yeah. touch it. I mean, it was wonderful. Yeah. We had, we had songs with bothy ballads about bear and buns and, <laughs> and we had children could thresh their own grain. They could uh-huh. see how the miller worked. They could taste bread. Busa was there with his old grains, but we'll maybe yep. come on to that in a minute. So there was lots happening. And of course, we heard that the moment when the awards were announced, including the championship, which this year went to the company bakery. So we had the supreme champion um, decided to keep that kind of Firma Britain not do first prize, second prize. It's quite fun being a supreme champion and a reserve champion, so we get that. Um, was Ben Reed with the company bakery and reserve champion was up your way. It was Anne Keenan from yep. Culinary Kiwi Bird at Inch. And she used bear meal. So she used an old heritage grain in a bulla, in a round, sort of like large bun-shaped loaf for her entry. And that was the culinary kiwi bird. Lovely. So I, I spoke to Bernie just for the bakery, just after he received his accolade. Right, Ben. Congratulations, because you've won the big prize. You are the champion bakery. The company is the champion yeah, bakery. Yeah, supreme champion. Uh, I mean, the truth's got to be told that I didn't actually bake any of it myself. But we've got an amazing team, so it's great that their work has been recognised. So, remind me again, when was the company bakery established? When did you set it up? We uh, started it in 2017, bunch of mates, just basically because we wanted bread for our own businesses, but we couldn't find the supply that we needed. So we just started it to supply us, basically, and now it's grown out of proportion and we make, I don't know, 1,500 kilos a day. How much? A lot. A lot, a yeah. lot of bread. It's like a serious quantity. Right. So where are you based Sorry. then? Just remind us where you're based. We're in Haymarket in Edinburgh. Get your bread in the Haymarket shop. So Saturday, Sunday, we do like a market stall that you can come to the bakery and, and, and buy it in the mornings from 9 till 12. But mostly we're a wholesale bakery. So mostly we supply to all the cafes, restaurants, bars, quality food shops, big hotels, whatever. Anyone that wants it and will pay, basically. 
just say congratulations, Ben, and Thank I'll catch you up with you later. Thank you very much. Lovely to I'm see you, Frida. And I look for... It's fantastic to see you, Ben. It's yeah, great lovely to see you, you too. Yeah, yeah. Bye, Ben. Cheers. Bye. -bye. <laughs> ben Reed for the company bakery. And Ricky, and you and I can add our own personal congratulations. We can, Ben, eh? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I grew up with that guy. He's, he's like a brother of that guy. So uh, just, congratulations, Ben. Congratulations <laughs> well again. Well done, mate. But the market hall at the Bauhaus was packed full of folk wanting to buy bread and folk wanting to ken made up with baking bread and thick grain to use. It was fascinating. And, of course, the growing of grain is just part of the food chain that is so important to us, the consumer, and, of course, the producers. Wendy, you and your husband, Bossa, are keenly involved in producing good grain for bread. Now, I picked up that there are very practical moves afoot in order to provide different grains and political moves to encourage growing grain for human consumption. Guide us through what's happening on the ground, literally and metaphorically. It's, it's fascinating. It's great times because I'm not against the whiskey industry. Forgive, you know, heaven forbid. But, you know, <laughs> there's an awful lot of grain growing for booze. Mm. Um, and there's not a lot of grain growing for Bread. And I think, you know, world events have also focused the minds and the politics on the fact that, you know, we really should be growing and have us food security that we have enough grain ourselves. So it's a bit ridiculous, you know, in our lovely land not to be growing more grain. And it's only happening in small pockets at the moment, but at least it's starting. So Andrew Whitley's been growing grain for Scotland the Bread at Bowhouse. And John Castley, who's Wild Hearth Bakery over at Cymru, he's been growing some little plots um, on allotments with the Cymru Primary School. And my husband, Busa, has been growing test plots in the walled garden at our Dross farm, which is literally a mile from Bowhouse, coincidentally. But of course, we're Fifers. We live in Fife. So, you know, it's, it's handy for us to nip along to our Dross. And Busa is literally digging and hoeing and drilling in his seeds. He's doing it all by hand, scything it, gathering it in stooks. And so he's been doing this. This is year three, but we've been doing it in our own tiny kitchen garden with some of the grains for seven years before that. So these grains are getting acclimatised to Fife. And one of them's Nordic and the rest of them are ancient grains from Shetland, Uist, uh, the Outer Isles, Grimsey. So there's, these are really, really old grains that have not been grown and indeed are not being grown anywhere else. So it's fascinating and we've milled them, we've tasted them, really delicious and we're just still seed saving and milling a little bit to look at the different flavours, decide where to go from there. No funding whatsoever, just he's determined to um, to do something that he loves and he burns for and it's so interesting for me as a cook to mm -hmm. taste it all as well oh, and our really? dross are kind enough to humour us. <laughs> so Wendy, where do you get them milled? Fires of milk? Well, our dross themselves had bought a little tabletop mill, which we have a loan of. So we mill them ourselves. And because they are um, uh, so beautifully cut with the scythe, they're not mashed up. So corny straw, something corny can do beautiful mm. designs with the straw. So absolutely everything is used. And any waste is dug back down to fertilise the soil and along with some seaweed. So there's no bought-in inputs of any description and the results are turning out beautifully. I'm just impressed that the boss is digging by hand, he's forking it by hand and holding uh -huh. it by One hand. whole acre 
one whole acre of jeepers. I once <laughs> I witnessed, well, I almost witnessed my grandfather and my father digging four acres by hand, and I thought that oh. was, I would never touch gardening in my life. Ha! <laughs> that was that was a waste of promise, wasn't it? But, for, yeah, I can imagine how that will be. Right. Thanks, Wendy. Now, on that topic, in the Bread Championship judges was Professor Lindsay Jacks, the Edinburgh University, and Lindsay was in charge of a report for the Scottish Government CAD, a National Grain Security Action Plan for Scotland. Professor Jacks, tell me more about that report. So this is a National Grain Security Action Plan for Scotland, and the reason that we put it together, uh, many reasons, but one is that there isn't much grain produced in Scotland for direct human consumption, and by direct I mean not through distilleries or through animals. And at the same time, we know that diets are quite unhealthy in Scotland. There's not much whole grain consumption. Fiber intake is well below Scottish government recommendations. And so we see this as an opportunity to promote local grain production at the same time as supporting Scottish diets in terms of achieving Scottish dietary goals and promoting you know, healthy lives. That is a huge remit. So this is going to be presented to the government when? Yes, on the 22nd of March, we'll be presenting it to government, yes. So the government, the people who are going to read the report, putting it down to basics, are going to say, right, this is a plan, but any plan is going to cost money yes. to rearrange the plan that is in place now, isn't it? Yes, Has yes. Has that been taken into consideration? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of details that need to be worked out in order to realize the potential of the plan. So the plan really was not led by the University of Edinburgh. We're, as researchers, just kind of facilitating it. So we spoke with farmers, we spoke with millers, we spoke with bakers, we spoke with other researchers who are trying to, you know, improve the food system. And they really kind of informed what ended up in the plan and the goal of targeting uh, the target of uh, doubling grain production for food in Scotland by 2030, and the roadmap, which includes six steps to kind of achieve that target. But really, in terms of next steps, we kind of know at a high level what needs to happen, but the details need to be worked out. And we hope that that's kind of the next step, that now that we've kind of established an agreed-upon co-developed target and the steps to get there, We'll kind of go out into working groups for each of those six steps and really hash out the details in terms of implementing the plan. Yeah. My very best wishes. Thank you. <laughs> Professor Lindsay Jacks from Edinburgh University. Wendy and Dave, I would like you to make comment on that. Um, Wendy first. It's, it's so interesting what she's saying and it's so important because th we really need that food security but also there's a growing number of really enthusiastic bread makers as you saw who are really crying out for these heritage grains and healthy grains and I'd also like to mention that we had a lot of help from the Edinburgh Bakers Trust because Andrew Whitley and myself put in hundreds of hours but the Edinburgh Bakers Trust gave us a grant for the postage, the printing of the certificates, etc. And, and they have small grants for bakers so that all the bakers need to do is apply if they've got a project that they would like to try or they'd like some seed money for something that they're starting up. Um, they can apply for a grant from the Edinburgh Bakers Trust. Wow. Dave, you listened to the, the interview. 
your your reaction? I found all this very fascinating, Frida. You know, it, it's like a light has been switched on in the darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, around a whole lot of things, you know, health and well-being, exercise and gardening's good for you. You are what you eat. You know, b- bread is, you know, it's fundamental to our daily lives. But I think an awful lot of people are becoming much more aware about what we eat, where it comes from, what's healthy for you. And, you know, that's all tied to food security. And that's sadly linked to, you know, terrible events across the world at the moment. Mm-hmm. Climate change, drought, war, etc., etc. You know, if you can't feed yourself as a nation, there's something fundamentally wrong. And I think there's a light being switched on around Absolutely. this just quietly. Creeping up on this. Yep, I agree, Dave, entirely. It took me surprise just what, what enthusiasm and, and the work that was going on. Now, you don't hear an awful lot about this is this is a problem. We need to let more people hear what what's happening. Well, I I think that's it. You know, one light switches on, and then another, and then another, mm-hmm. and then another, and you know, then the light becomes brighter and brighter, and people start to talk about it. I mean, if you think where Wendy started back in January with an idea to have an event that had um, <laughs> you know, nearly a, around about a thousand people at it. Where is it going to be in yeah. a year's time? I yes. know. More volunteers. 1,500 people? <laughs> 2,000 people? You know, it, it's a move. You know, wh- when that starts to happen, it becomes a movement. When there's a movement, there's a demand. When there's a demand, people respond to that demand. You know, it's like the, the, the company bakery, you know, that is in response to a demand. The more he sells, mm-hmm. the more the demand becomes, the more people become aware. And so the wheel of life turns and it needs bread. I remember, I think wheel. I was telling you about the, my visit to Salina, Kansas, a few years ago to the, the, uh, the Parade Festival. And there they had developed a perennial grain now, that doesn't mean an awful lot to a lot of people, but to bread makers and to farmers everywhere, that would mean a, an awful lot. At that time, they said, yeah, it's just coming out of the hangar. We've developed it. We have, we've developed a perennial grain. And they were basing it on prairie seeds and prairie, prairie grains. But I haven't heard more about it ever since. You know, there's a, there's a lot in that. But to be able to produce a perennial grain, can you imagine the ramifications of that? At the end of the day, you know, cereals are grasses, basically, mm-hmm. and a lot of grasses are perennial. Stands to reason. It stands to reason. But I, I think Lindsay Jack's comments and aspirations and the fact that, you know, the university didn't drive the report. The report was driven by the industry, by farmers and mm-hmm. bakers and others. That's all part of that wheel turning. So it'll be very interesting to see how, in time, Scottish government responds to the report. Um, I'm really interested about that that perennial grass. But I would also say what's very interesting is that both Andrew Whitley and Busa are doing things with land-raised grains, which is very important because you need that biodiversity in the grain. If you get too narrow genetics and the climate change, a bit or the weather changes or the different soil compositions then they don't work so you know nature has to take place in this and not just science and keep that biodiversity in the gene bank that's important for food security Mm. too right let us pause for a bit of music this is another track for gavin marwick's cd candlemas part of a new series of four eps card quarter days celebrating the all Scottish quarter days, Candlemas, Whitson, Lammas and Martimus. So let me read to Gavin's text about the project. Each EP will feature Gavin in a duo with Eno, four separate musical partners and playing tunes written by himself and arranged to celebrate 
and portray these traditional festival days. Now, the releases will be on the actual all quarter days themselves across 2023, as I said, Candlemas, Whitson, Lammas and Matamas. And the other musicians involved are Aaron Jones on Sitern on Candlemas, which was released on February 2nd, Wendy Stewart on Harp on Whitson, May 15th, Ruth Morris, Nicol Harper on Lammas, August 1st, and Phil Alexander, accordion and piano on Martimus, November the 11th. Now, the EPs will be released on Gavin's independent journeyman label and will be available digitally, all in the usual online places, and there will also be a limited run of physical CDs available. So, this is a set of tunes, starting with card, if the day dawns bright and clear.
Gavin Marwick with Aaron Jones for Gavin's EP Quarter Days and Candlemas, the first of four EPs around the theme of the traditional Quarter Days. Again, I quote, they were the map of the agricultural year and the passing seasons. Lovely words, Gavin, and stunning music. Just made my day. Now, Dave, you've been looking into the history of grain in this country. It's, it's a fascinating journey. Over to you, Dave Mitchell. Well, aye, it is, Frida. You know, the journey with cereals in Scotland begins a way back in time. It actually begins in ancient Scotland, around 8000 BC in the Mesolithic era. It then travels forwards through time, through the Neolithic around 4000 BC, into the Middle Ages, and then the Renaissance in the 1700s to the present day. And the knowledge that we've acquired about cereals in that time actually came about as a result of archaeological work that was carried out across the country since the 1960s. And what the archaeologists actually did was they sieved soil from thousands of midden sites across the whole country, studied the remains captured in the sieve with powerful microscopes to ultimately reveal a variety of plant microfossils that showed what our ancestors were growing foraging and eating. And then we have written evidence too from much nearer our own time, observations recorded between 1500 and 1800 by journalists and travellers like the priest Donald Munro and the Cambridge scholar Fives Morrison who worked between 1500 and 1600 and then Martin Martin, the botanical pioneer and the Reverend John Walker who worked between roughly 1600 and the end of the 1700s. And they, they in their journals, recorded a lot about what crops were being grown in different parts of the nation. So what sort of evidence did the archaeologists find then? Well, the plant macrofossils show that barley, Heridium vulgari, and oats, the Avena species, have both been cultivated in Scotland since around 8000 BC. And this is very probably because they're both very hardy and they're tolerant of a wide range of soils and weather conditions. And I find it quite interesting that even today, barley is still clearly the nation's most important cereal crops. Now, whilst there are about 20 different species of wild barley, the evidence gathered indicated, even way back then, as now, it's the two-road barley that is the most common, rather than the six-road form, which is called bear. The less common four-road form is very rarely found, and today, as I said, it's the two-road hulled form that's the most widely grown. But there are still small quantities of bear grown in the Western Isles and Orkney and Shetland, on the topic of barley, we see the Spanish ambassador to the court of James IV making a, a note in his journal, quite a valuable insight, and he talks about the great quantities of barley seen across the islands, and that impressed him greatly. In 1590, a hundred years later, more or less, finds Morrison comments that the fields yield little wheat and much barley and oats, and then in 1702, the Reverend Thomas Moore states that Fife produces great harvests of oats and barley, the first being used for bread and the other for drink. Ah. And the archaeological evidence that goes from that period shows that, again, that supports it, that wheat is very, you know, rarely grown in Scotland. It's quite interesting that this, you know, a globally important crop like wheat in Scotland, there's only about 105,000 hectares growing a year. 
in comparison to over 300,000 hectares mm. of barley and oats. But did, did, did our ancestors grow any other crops, other cereal crops in particular? Ah, well, they, they did grow rye, which is skill, one of the most resilient of cereals. And rye is interesting in that it grows in less fertile and drier soils. But even for them, they didn't grow anything like as much as oats and barley. But it's quite interesting that the archaeological evidence and the written evidence shows that rye was mainly grown in the south of the country, and particularly in what we would call Dumfries and Galloway. And that might explain why Burns noted it in his famous love song, Coming Through the Rye, because he would have seen it being cultivated by poor folk, you know, while we're working and eking out a living on the exposed high moorland ground. But in recent years, arable farmers in central Scotland have begun experimenting again with this crop because, you know, there's profit in it. It's low input and high yield. Otherwise, it doesn't require a lot of fertiliser. It doesn't need a lot of moisture. And they're experimenting with it again for grain, for bread, and for the production of rye whisky. In Neolithic Scarabray, we know that they were growing emmer, which is uh, Trichotium dioicum, and it was also being grown around the Antonine Wall. And like other wheats, it's very high in starch, that's uh, the carbohydrate, and in protein. So it was clearly an important crop to our ancient ancestors in Orkney and to the Romans when they were in Scotland. And th- there's further evidence too that spelt a taller growing type of wheat that was very popular in parts of Europe was being grown by the Romans all along the side of the, the, the Antonine Wall here in Scotland. But even more interesting in a way, we know that the Iron Age occupants of the Oak Bank Cranog on Loch Tay were growing it along the sides of the Loch Shore. Oh. But it never seems to have been widely grown across the whole of Scotland. Right, last question. Fit would be the value of these ancient crops, Dave? Well, the answer is we didn't count to, we need them. But I think all these ancient cereals, black, grey, white oats, western isles, spelt, spelt archer barley, you know, they're a great genetic resource to aid the development of new drought resistance and disease varieties in the future, you know, so that things didn't get ill, as it were. I also think that these ancient crops teach us a lot of life lessons about sustainability, about the need to respect the past, and they help us understand and appreciate more fully the true value of what we have and what we grow today. Bread, just as it was for our ancestors, is central to our daily life and our diet, our cultural traditions, our history. The modern strains of cereal that we eat today, no matter how complex their genetics and their breeding, Ultimately, they all owe their origins to the cereal crops that were grown by our ancient ancestors. We shouldn't forget, it was them that went out into the wild and selected the plants with the biggest seeds that grew best over the time that were the most productive. And they improved them and they treasured them and they passed that seed for young generation of farmers to the next, season after season, over thousands of years. That's something to think about when you're haying your toast. I've no doubt, even in this technically advanced era, there are lessons to be learnt for the past. All you need is an inquiring mind, a keen eye, a willingness to listen and learn, and most of all, just like bread itself, you need to be willing to share your discoveries for the benefit of all. And that's what's happening with that bread festival. As I see it, bread's an awful lot more than just a loaf. It's a token of life, friendship 
wisdom and faith. And we need all these things to survive in an ever-changing world. Thank you, Dave. You aye make us think. You're listening to Scots Radio. I'm Frida Morrison. And we need a chef and director of the Scottish Food Guide and co-creator of the Scottish Bread Making Championship held recently at the inaugural Scottish Real Bread Festival staged at the Bauhaus near St Monans in Fife. Now, as I said earlier, the Market Hall at the Bauhaus was packed full of folk wanting to buy breed and folk wanting to care more about bacon breed and thick grain to use. Linda Shaw has travelled all the way up for the borders just to join the folk at the festival and hear about different grains. Linda was, was definitely an enthusiast. Which, which part of Scottish border? It's Stone, Stone, right. Scottish border. So you come up for this event specially, eh? Yes, yes, absolutely, just for the day trip. And are you a keen baker? Oh, absolutely enthusiastic, yes, very keen. No, I've been asking folk about the, the type of flour. And I'm getting there and we're confused about the type of flour or the type of grain that folk use. What do you use? Well, I buy from different areas. Um, I bought previously in the past from Shipton Mill and uh, I bought from a couple of Scottish flour mills. Uh I'm here today to buy some of the flour from uh, the bread organisation here, so yeah. It's a good, because it's complicated, isn't it? You have to try and get the the right type of flour, the type consistency, the type ingredients. So... It's not, it's not that complicated. People think that making sourdough bread is complicated, but it's not. It's the simplest thing in the world. You just have to be organised. You have to have your starter, but you also, you, you find different flowers have different tastes and different consistencies, and you just have to find the one that you like, that, that suits your tastes and and works with, you know, with the way that you do your sourdoughs. So. So that's all. You just need to have. Give yourself 48 hours. You know that it's going to take a couple of days to make uh, a couple of loaves. So you just plan it. So it's good for training your patience as well. Oh, I could imagine. Well, I'm retired these days, so I've got lots of patience. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your favourite type of flour? Oh, uh, my favourite would uh, would be a wholemeal flour. So, Allinson's. No, no, no. Um, That's the only one I know. Is that the only one you know? No, well, I would say the Shipton Mill one I, I liked in the past. There's another one I can't remember the name of the bakery. It's at Mungo's, St Mungo's Wells. Uh-huh. They did a really nice flour. But I'm eager to try the flour from here, from Balkaski, because Balkaski. of all the... Balkaski, yes, yes. Balkaski. So because of the their, their growing original grains and stuff, you know, trying to bring them back into... So I want to get some, try some of the flour. So I haven't tried it, but I have been following their founder, Andrew. I have been following him. He was his cookery book. Uh, um, was the first one that I ever, many years ago, ever used. And, I remember uh, seeing that yes, with yes, so. I haven't got up to your expertise, I have to admit. <laughs> it's not really expertise, not at all. It's just I it's pleasure. I, I love trying. doing it. For me, it's like it's like meditation, bread making. I find it I've so therapeutic. Say that yes. a few times. Yes. It's just the patience I think you have to have as well. And it's an enjoyment of handling handling dough and flour and water and just yeah it's like You've sculpting you have been sculpting me. yes do it take it up Frida take up <laughs> thank you bye bye enjoy yourself wonderful what a lovely lady and what a day that was 
And the production of grain and bacon was at the centre of the festival, but onto that came different aspects of the celebration that just added to the event. And I've been trying to catch up with Elaine Lindsay for a long time. Elaine marks all kinds of ornamental creations with straw, cad, corn dollies. But I'll let Elaine tell you more about the process. So here I am, Elaine, I come out of my Aberdeenshire to meet somebody from Aberdeenshire. <laughs> Elaine, a pleasure to meet you again. What a bonny job you're making of this. Oh, thank you very much. But just tell me what you're doing here and this is new, what you're working on just now. Right, well, I'm making a hair snort uh-huh. and I'm making this hair snort for you and I'm here at the festival hoping that other folk will hear go at uh, making these as well. Can you make it for your neck and a straw? This is wheat, wheat straw, but um, you can muck it for oats, and of course oats would have been local to us up in Aberdeenshire. But any kind of grain would, would be fine. Rye, uh, barley would be my least favourite. It's a wee bit on the short side and it's very fine. But actually, you could try this with reeds or grasses and things as well. So how did you start doing this? Um, I started nearly 40 years ago and uh, I was looking for a craft that my sister-in-law didn't do and uh, she uh, was a very good crafts person and did all sorts of different crafts but I was very much outdoors, I was very much into horses so of course I bedded my my horses down with my straw every day and uh, so it intrigued me that you could have a craft with that material that I was using for the horse. So how do you get your, your straw? How do you get the wheat straw? Oh, I mean, I for my the biggest part of my wheat straw, for 40 years I've visited the same farm, but it's down south. But more and more I'm beginning to find straw locally. I'm from Veruri, so I'm beginning to find straw in the local area. And farmers, obviously, have got to cane me over the years. They phone me up quite often and say... And you need none oats this year, Elaine. So that just this past harvest, I had a phone call for a farmer, and he says, um, "Are you waiting on any oats? I've forgotten to, to speak to you about that." And I said, "Aye, when will I come?" And he says, "You'll need to come now. The combines in the park." Goodness. So I was at one side of the park cutting the sheaves, and he's at the other side of the park with the combine. Elaine, Lindsay, and Elaine, the the hair snot that you gave me is hanging up in the wall ahead me and it a prize. Bitty Mare Music, this is for a very beautiful album for Scottish fiddler and teacher Ian Fraser, Cad Cotterana. I need to tell you the story in this album. The record is based on the remarkable story of 800 Scottish Highlanders who followed the Reverend Norman MacLeod on a journey on no return in the 1800s. The congregation sailed across vast oceans spending hundreds of days at sea in search of a better life. And the incredible journey lasted almost 40 years and spanned the globe. We ascent born MacLeod setting off for Nova Scotia, Theolopool, in 1817, before sailing to Adelaide in 1850 and finally settling in the village of Waipu, New Zealand in 1854. Kotorana, which is the Maori word for Scotland, was originally written as a 35-minute piece of music by Ian in 2016, when he first came across the story of MacLeod and his followers at a museum in Waipo, situated in New Zealand, North Island. His new project is a development of the work and sees the score split into 11 tracks and four separate sections. Each section contains music originally composed in the countries 
visited by the Reverend MacLeod and his people, and chronologically follows their emigration story through Scotland to Canada, Australia, and eventually New Zealand. The album, as I said, is called Cotterana, the Maori word for Scotland. It starts with this track, card, Aotearoa. from Cotterana for a great album and a great story. Congratulations, Ian Fraser. No, as I mentioned earlier, there are some amongst us that has been entreated the summer Wendy's bread and cheese. I have not had that, and Dave has not been given any, 
No. Or Richie Only or Richie has had the pleasure. Can mm-hmm. I now get your reaction, Mr. Richie? <laughs> Nibby. Are you enjoying Wendy's bread and cheese? Nothing but the finest artisanal quality in the studio today, Frida. Thank you, well, Wendy. It's absolutely delicious. And she brought plenty as well, so we've been sharing. Any excuse for bread and cheese. (laughs) Wendy, tell us that Dave and myself are missing more about the bread and cheese you brought in, and of course, you're running your own cheese making classes now. Thick kind of bread, thick kind of cheese. Well, I brought in one of Ben from Company Bakery, uh, one of his family sourdoughs, Really Ooh. delicious. Ooh. We've got cheese today from Fife and Earshire, just what I happen to have in the house. And we've got St Andrews, Jane's St Andrews Farmhouse, a mature hard cheese, and the Balachmal Brie. There's also a Scottish Brie made on Arran and up at Connage. So we've got a full range from fresh cheeses, goat, sheep, cow, right through to mature hard farmhouses in Scotland. You don't need to look any further than Scotland, not to mention the Blues. And if you want to know more about them, we run uh, Cheese Trail Experiences at our wee studio in Fife on the coastal path. Are you running cheese marking courses as well, Wendy, though? Yeah, we do. We do two. We do, we do a half-day one called Cheese Lovers, where you taste lots and lots of them and learn all about the background the history the people that make them and uh, how to match them with things and we also do a full day one which we do in collaboration with Cathy Biss who's up at Achmore she is an award winning cheesemaker herself and no longer commercially makes the cheeses but still offers experiences to actually children as well she links in with the crofting up in the highlands and also she helps out cheesemakers that that need a bit of mentoring so in September we're going to do one of the full day ones up in the Highlands. Oh, wow. So um, check out my website and you can keep track on those dates. I will be keeping track of you. The one in uh, Fife is going to be on the 23rd of April. Grand. And there's still spaces. Hadrian's Wall. Now you mentioned that there was something going on in Hadrian's Wall in your life. Yeah. So it's it's 1900 years last year since that wall was up and running. So there's still celebrations going on this year. And I'm taking part in one in May. And I've been asked to cook food that the Romans might have been having round about that wall. I've been doing quite a bit of research on this. And I think my take is going to be a Wendy take because I think what's really interesting is some of the breeds of cattle that would have been on their menu, the grain that we've talked about today that would have been on on their menu, what wouldn't have been on their menu, and how the climate was different as well. Mm-hmm. And in fact, during the time the Romans were here, the climate changed. And so they would be having their imports, but they would also be using local produce. So I think there's really quite a lot to explore there from a historical, a geographical, and the cooking perspective. So there's going to be things for people to taste as well. Wow. It's a fascinating subject, I agree. Wendy, because I'm just, at the moment, I'm doing some research for a tour in Cumbria, and I I came across something I didn't know about, which was the scale and size of the Roman port at Maryport. And, you know, I just imagine the huge volumes of stuff that was coming into there in the Roman era from the Mediterranean. They must have had a very mixed and colourful diet I think yeah sounds very interesting they did and the army marched on their stomach and if, oh, definitely. if, if they hadn't got a good sound happy army then they would get militant and bolshy <laughs> so they really did feed them well, well. Nay, nay, nay wonder Biden in that climate you know if you're used to sunning yourself in the Mediterranean and you're getting the icy blast on the top of Hadrian's wall you need a decent exactly meal. you're getting midges instead of mama's cooking 
<laughs> well, when you mention Cumbria and the Romans, there's still one of my welly boots out in the marsh there. <laughs> a subject for another day. <laughs> Wendy, thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode, and it could go on for a bit longer. It's been a special treat hearing you, as usual. Come back soon, Wendy, and thank you to Boss as well for all his good work in the, in the A green real parks. pleasure, and we'll, we'll, we'll post pictures when he's scything again. Oh, post pictures of the bread and the cheese in the studio. Right. I finish with a bit of lovely news. The Scots radio team are delighted to announce that we have been nominated for a Torque Award of Excellence at the Celtic Media Festival. We're up against six strong entries, so it's going to be tacked. The festival this year will be held at Dunglow in the county of Donegal in Ireland in June, and we'll keep you informed about the event. And again, on behalf of Scots Radio, thank you to the Celtic Media Festival team it's a huge tack on with other judges. There's three panels of judges. There's a national judge, an international judge, and a combination of two. So I'm looking forward to catching up with Abbey. We leave you with a track for the new album Ferrura, a track called Minor Emergency. Something we can we can often identify with. <laughs> on behalf of Richard Werner, Dave Mitchell, and our special guest Wendy Barry, for me, Frida Morrison. Thanks for listening. Keep wheel and keep warm. Join us again. Bye the noob! <laughs>